0: We are working our way through 1 Peter. We find ourselves in the first five verses of chapter 5, and they're very practical verses and helpful verses to us as they teach us how we ought to pray for our pastors slash elders. At the beginning of this message, I want to point out that within our local assembly, we use the term pastor interchangeably with the term elder. And in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see some very practical and important help for all of you to know how to pray for all 11 of us who happen to serve as your pastors. And we begin at verse 1, 1 Peter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And we'll stop there in mid-sentence to observe from verse 1 that it is plural. It is elders. It is not elder. It's not a singular situation, but a plurality of elders in the assembly and the assemblies that were being addressed in this particular letter when you look at the other New Testament passages that deal with church leadership in local churches after the cross and after the day of Pentecost, you will discover that in every case, it was a plurality of elders that is referenced in each particular singular church assembly of believers. If you take notes and you'd like to do a little further study on this, please jot these references down. Acts 14.23 Acts 20, verse 17, and verse 28, Philippians 1, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, and James chapter 5, verse 14. These are but a sampling of New Testament references to there being a plurality of elders in every church, more than one elder in every church. And so this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus as New Testament church after Pentecost, that there be more than one pastor in our assembly. And we thank God that uh, currently there are 11 pastors, myself and 10 other pastors that serve to uh, lead you in a servant-like manner. You know why God would prescribe a plurality of elders for every local church is simple. There is a safety in numbers. Someone pointed out to me after the 8 a.m. service dismissed that I needed to qualify that by saying there's a safety in numbers of godly people. Because when a mob mentality happens with ungodly people, bad stuff happens. But we're talking about a safety in numbers, a prudence, a wisdom, in having more than one spiritually mature man who is walking in the Spirit, who is walking with Christ, who is consulting the Word of God, And is consulting with other mature Christian pastors in an attitude of prayer. There's great wisdom in that. There's safety in that. There's prudence in that. And that's why God would will it that every local assembly since Pentecost would have more than one pastor, more than one elder. When we come to verse 2, we come to see the main verb in this passage, which is characterizing biblical eldering, if eldering is a word. Uh, Biblical eldering is summed up by one verb in verse 2, and it is shepherd, that's the verb, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So let's step back from this concept of shepherding, because we need to think about what does that mean? If that's the main way that the pastors of this assembly are to lead you and to care for you is to shepherd you, then we all had better understand what a shepherd does. Well, a literal shepherd of sheep, he guides his sheep, he guards his sheep, he feeds his sheep, and he beds down his sheep in a safe place where they can sleep. In other words, a shepherd oversees all of the things that will impact his sheep. Being a spiritual shepherd, being a a pastor, is the very same. Pastors, I should point out very importantly to you, that pastors are under shepherds. That's because there's only one good shepherd for the church of Jesus Christ, for the body and bride of Jesus Christ. There is only one good shepherd, and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus is all of your good shepherd. He's your good shepherd. And we who are called to serve and pastor and servant lead in this assembly, we are but under shepherds. We care for you as shepherds under the good shepherd because we ourselves as pastors are also sheep who need that same good shepherd as do you. And human pastor shepherds can at best only shepherd under the Lord Jesus Christ shepherding of his people. In 30 years of being a pastor, it's been a joy, continues to be a joy. In 30 years of being a pastor, I have never once called any church I pastored my church because they are not mine. They are Jesus. The sheep belong to Jesus. You all have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. And so you belong to Jesus. You're Jesus' sheep. And the collection of sheep called Calvary Bible Church is an assembly of sheep that belong to Jesus. You don't belong to me. He's purchased you with his blood. He's loving you with a perfect love. He's shepherding you with a perfect shepherding. So let's move on. The passage next gives us three concrete ways for you to pray for me as your pastor and for the other 10 pastor elders. Verses 2 and 3, read, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. You know, the truth is, when it comes to pastoring or living the Christian life in any venue and opportunity that you have, motives are really important. Why we do what we do is as important as what we do and sometimes more important than what we do. Motives are super important. And these verses tell pastors what their motives ought to be. Pastors should always pastor willingly, sensing that it is God's will that they pastor. My mindset is not... I have to preach this Sunday. My mindset is, I get to preach this Sunday. My thought is not that I must visit you in the hospital. My perspective is that I'm privileged to visit you in the hospital. I am willing to be your pastor. I am not grudgingly your pastor. So I say it again because it happens to be the first way that you ought to pray for me and for your other CBC pastors. And this is the first point. If you're taking notes, pray that your pastors will pastor willingly, sensing that they are doing God's will. Pray that your pastors will pastor willingly, sensing that they are doing God's will. Again, the first part of verse two, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. You know, one of the most serious problems that a person can present to a counselor is that he or she Thinks that it's no longer God's will for them to be married to their spouse. That is one of the most serious problems that a married person can present to a counselor. And over the years, I've heard it a lot. I don't think it's God's will for me to be married to her anymore. That's a lie. Because till death, us do part, is God's will for marriage. When Satan gets the lie into a married person's mind that somehow it's no longer God's will to stay married to their mate, it can be like a Mount Everest effort for that person to love their spouse properly, to respect their uh, spouse properly. Similarly, if a pastor comes to doubt that it is God's will for him to under-shepherd God's sheep, then his former willingness to do so is very hard to get back. So please, pray that all of your pastors will pastor you willingly sensing that we are doing God's will. We move on. There's a second way that you should pray for me and for the other CBC pastors, and it's the second half of verse 2. According to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Sorted gain qualifies the gain that's not pleasing to God. It's not, God is not against capitalism when the gain is legitimate and honest and due to hard and diligent work. But there is something called sordid gain, selfish gain, manipulative gain, manipulative gain, getting one's own way at the expense of others' gain. The second point then is to pray that your pastors will serve God with no interest in personal gain. That your pastors will serve God with no interest in personal gain. Pastors are never to pastor motivated by personal gain. Instead, pastors are to pastor and to under-shepherd God's people with an eagerness which doesn't think about any self-interest. You do know that there are plenty of pastors who pastor purely for the motivation of personal gain. They usually pastor congregations, they haven't bothered to teach the scriptures so that they can take advantage monetarily of their flock you realize there's a pastor in this city who last Christmas got in the pulpit and said to the people, some of you are not putting large enough money bills in my Christmas card. Change that, that's what he said. And then he said, from the pulpit, in fact, if you don't put any money in my Christmas card, I won't even read what you wrote. Pastors are never to pastor motivated by personal gain. And it is not right for any man to want to become a pastor to gain money or to gain respect or to gain popularity or to gain influence. And I can stand before you and God this morning to say, I praise God that none of your CBC pastors are looking for personal gain. None. Listen to the 19th century American pastor and author named Charles E. Jefferson on this. The shepherd's work is a humble work. A shepherd cannot shine. His work must be done in obscurity. The things which he does do not make interesting copy. It is a form of service which eats up a man's life. It makes a man old before his time. Every good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The finest things a minister does are done out of sight and never get reported. His joy is not that his success is being talked about on earth, but that his name is written in heaven. The shepherd in the Orient had no crowd to admire him. He lived alone with the sheep and the stars. The messengers of Christ must not expect brass bands to attend them on their way. Theirs is humble, unpretentious, and oft times unnoticed labor. But if it builds souls in righteousness, it is more lasting than the stars. End of quote. A pastor is never to serve God with interest in personal gain. Instead, will you pray for us that we will have the kind of motivation that we would serve Christ and you with an eager, faithful, continuing service and no consideration of personal gain? We move on in our passage To the third way, to pray for me and for all of your CBC pastors, and it is this, pray that your pastors will be examples. Men who can say, follow me. Verse 3. Nor get it as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Really, how any any pastor sees his influence is the point of verse 3. How any pastor views, interprets his influence is the whole point and thrust of verse 3. There are two very different kinds of leadership. One, do what I say, and two, do what I do. Do what I say can be dictatorship. And do what I do is demonstration. Do what I say can lord over. Do what I do provides example. In the early church, there was a church leader named Diotrephes. And Diotrephes was a do-what-I-say, dictator, self-serving kind of church leader. And the Apostle John was moved of the Holy Spirit to write some less-than-flattering scripture about Diotrephes. Third John, verses 9 to 11. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Pastors, elders are to serve Christ and his people by giving a good example. The U.S. Army infantry has a very uh, well-known symbol, a graphic design, And what it is is, let me tell you first that the infantry of the U.S. Army are the men who slug it out in the most dangerous positions. They're foot soldiers. They're on the front lines of the battle, the U.S. Army infantry. And their symbol is a soldier with a rifle in one hand and a helmet cocked and his head looking back to the soldiers behind him and giving the come-ahead Gesture. He's shouting back as he charges into the fray, follow me. That's the kind of biblical leadership that God wants for this church and for each expression of the church. Former U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower used to demonstrate the art of proper leadership in a simple but forceful way. He would place a single string on his desk in the Oval Office. And then when anyone would come and it it suit the context of the conversation, he would go to the string on his desk and he would say, pull it and it follows wherever you want to go. But push it and it goes nowhere. Christian leaders who are called pastor elders are to be men who lead by example. Men who can truly say to you, follow me. Follow me as it applies to prayer. Follow me as it applies to sharing the gospel. Follow me with respect to loving all persons. Follow me being humble. Follow me being a husband and a dad. Follow me, loving one's wife. Follow me with spiritual growth. Follow me as it applies to Bible study. Follow me with involvements in ministries. Follow me with picking up the slack. Follow me by working hard and well. Follow me by serving Jesus with joy. And follow me as it applies to living with Christ as Lord of all. Follow me. Be an example as a leader. Pray for your pastors here to pull you along with positive Christ-like example. And pray for your pastors here who lead, but who not drive the sheep. You do realize that there's a big difference between a shepherd and a cowboy. A shepherd is ahead of the flock, scoping things out, seeing the danger first, Shepherds go ahead of their flocks. Cowboys ride horses behind their herd of cattle. Shepherds ask the sheep in their own ways, follow me. Cowboys on their horses driving cattle from the back of the group say yeehaw. Pastor elders, according to the New Testament, are to be shepherds. Not cowboys. for us. To say it again, how very important it is for pastors to be the right kind of examples. Some people in our house yesterday watched the royal wedding. Her name begins with B and ends with F. And what I saw of it, which wasn't much, it seemed very lovely. This sermon illustration comes from probably the most famous European preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who preached for many years in London, England. This is what Spurgeon said to a group of young men he was training for the ministry, and I quote what Spurgeon said, As a result of your own decline, every one of your hearers will suffer more or less. It is with us and our hearers as it is with watches and the public clock. If our watch be wrong, very few will be misled by it but ourselves. But if the horse guards or the Greenwich Observatory clocks go amiss. Half of London would lose its reckoning. He goes on. So it is with the minister, he is the parish clock. Many take their time from him. And if he be incorrect, then they all go wrongly. And he is in great measure accountable for all the sin which he occasions, end of quote. That is sobering to me, and that is true. On we go to verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so this reference to the chief shepherd is a, another way of saying that Jesus Christ is the only good shepherd, and pastor elders in an assembly are only under shepherds. And it says, in this verse does, that the one, one of the proper motivations for any pastor elder to properly pastor is the second coming of Christ. Good and Faithful pastors will be vindicated by their Lord when he comes to establish his thousand-year kingdom. You do realize that one of the reasons that leadership and pastoral leadership in particular is lonely is because sometimes you face ungrounded accusations, charges that are simply not true. And the godly pastor full of faith does not feel compelled to defend himself, to vindicate himself. But he awaits verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's an unfading crown of glory because the one who gives it is unfading Verse 5, our last verse this morning. Verse 5 broadens the commandment the, that dictates the directions from just being t- for pastors to being includes pastors, but it is broader. It's to the whole assembly. Every brother, every sister in Christ, and every assembly, verse 5, is speaking to us all. And this verse calls all of us, without exception, pastors and those who are not pastors, we are called in this verse to humility. You, younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." We are told, all of us are told, to clothe ourselves with humility. Will you notice we are not to stand around in church and wait for someone else to clothe us with humility? We are to choose to clothe ourselves with humility in the church. And so the what of this, verse 5, is clothe yourselves with humility. And then the verse graciously gives us two reasons that we would clothe ourselves with humility because the Spirit of God knows that in and of ourselves, if we sized it up, we probably wouldn't clothe clothe ourselves with humility. So he gives us two reasons that we are to clothe ourselves with humility. Ready? In verse 5, the first reason is God opposes the proud may i point out to you that there's no more serious an opponent than god god opposes the proud that's the first reason to clothe yourself with humility the second reason is god gives grace to the humble who wouldn't want grace who wouldn't want god's unmerited favor just like you could have no more a serious an opponent if you were going to be proud, on the other hand, you could not receive a better gift than God's grace. And so the verse is clear. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A thing I think we should see at the front end of verse 5 is the verse begins by instructing the younger male believers in an assembly, and it says, that they ought to submit to their elders. That means they are to stand under. It's the same Greek verb form of hupotasso we've seen in marriage context. The younger males of an assembly are to choose to stand under, be subject to the male leadership, the pastor elders of an assembly. And as we move further into verse 5, As I've mentioned already, the command to humility broadens from pastors only to the whole body. There is no one within the sound of my voice that God has not commanded to put on the clothes of humility. Verse 5b, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Will you notice what I've passed uh, by and told you before, that this is an action we do to ourselves. This is a choice we make for ourselves to humble ourselves in the body. It's a choice that we make to humble ourselves in this church before our brother's and our sisters in Christ. The daily bread puts it this way, the devotional. Pride is the most subtle of sins. It sneaks up on us when we least expect it. In fact, it is dangerous because it feeds on the good things we do. If we are generous, we can't help but feeling pretty good about it. If we help someone, we pat ourselves on the back. We can even be proud that we are conquering pride. Peter gave the antidote to pride in today's verse. He told us to be clothed with humility. Literally, it means put on the servant's apron. Put on the servant's apron. Our attitude should be a desire to serve. Every day, we're at church in the building. There's another Daily Bread devotional I'd like to share with you. It's called The Garbage Detail. The writer of the devotional says, it was my privilege recently to minister in a church where the love and warmth of its members was especially evident I was also impressed by their willingness to pitch in and work. On the Sunday I spoke, three services were scheduled, morning, afternoon, and evening. The women of the church had provided a bountiful meal to be served between the meetings for visitors who had traveled a long distance to attend. Following the dinner, after most of the people had left... I noticed a distinguished looking couple clearing the tables and dumping the dirty paper plates into large plastic bags. When I complimented them on what they were doing, they said, matter of factly, Oh, we're the garbage detail. We volunteered to clean up after every church function. We consider it a ministry. I thought, How wonderful! The man and the woman were not only available to serve the Lord, but they humbly did what others might consider demeaning work. Some individuals volunteer for the more prominent and appealing forms of ministry in the church, but these dear people were glad to be what they cheerfully called the garbage detail. Those two people found there was need for garbage detail, and they found figuratively two aprons. And they tied them on themselves. And they humbly served the brothers and the sisters in Christ in their church with a great attitude. And so let me ask you, have you yet humbled yourself before your Calvary Bible church brothers and sisters? Is your apron on? Did you choose to gladly wear an apron? Or did you figure that it wouldn't fit you? Or enough other persons were wearing aprons you didn't need to put one on? Could the Spirit of God this morning in these moments be leading you to decide before God to pick up an apron and to wear it to church every time you come to church. Fact is, we're like every other church, I think, or most every other church. We need a lot more apron-wearing Christians. There's a lot of things that need help. Building maintenance, organizing things that are disorganized, cleaning out and cleaning up closets and storage areas, practical duties to make the services work both at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. Several of our ministries are understaffed and the people who serve, they're tired. Some cases frustrated. You could speak to Deacon Charlie Aubrey is in the balcony, I believe, and chairman of the pastors, Paul Worrell, brought the announcement in this service. If you'd like to know more about how you could pick up an apron and get involved. But don't miss this, that the Spirit of God, by no accident, put together in these five verses how to pray for pastors and how to wear a humble servant's apron in a church don't miss the connection that one of the best ways you can be wearing a servant's apron in Calvary Bible Church is to be regularly praying for your pastors. Whether you're alone with God or you're at your dinner table with your family or you're in a prayer meeting, one of the the ways that God would will for you to put on a servant's apron for this assembly is to pray for me and the other 10 pastors. And the passage, again, has told us exactly three ways we can pray. Pray that your pastors will pastor willingly, sensing that they are doing God's will. Pray that your pastors will serve God with no interest for personal gain. And pray that your pastors will be examples men who can say, follow me. Some of you have young kids, and kids are so great. What if those of you who still have young kids would have kids that love to play pretend dress-up games? And what if your kids were to play pretend dress-up church? What would that look like? Hopefully, it will look like this, me wearing an apron behind the pulpit and every pastor and every deacon of our church wearing aprons flanking the communion table. And then every believer in the pews wearing their own aprons And the only one in the whole game who's wearing a crown is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What would that look like if that wasn't pretend? Lord, thank you for the good attention your people have given to your holy word. Thank you, Lord, that whether we are pastors or not pastors of this fine assembly, that we want grace, and therefore we've learned we must humble ourselves to receive it. Lord, we would put on our aprons so that we would humble ourselves before each other in the privilege of ministering to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ's name, amen.